Welcome in everybody to the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. I've got former NBA player Casey Jacobson with me. How are you doing, Casey? I'm great, Eric. Thanks for having me so much on your podcast. I appreciate it. No problem. We'll get right into it. So uh, you played for a while from about 2002, 2008, a little bit overseas. Um, let's start with uh, just kind of when you started as a rookie, what was like the aha moment? Like, oh my goodness, how am I here moment for you? <laughs> um, I had a couple of those, probably uh, several during my rookie year, a couple more during my second year, um, because I felt like my rookie year, I never really fully got my bearings. Mm-hmm. It's my opinion that most rookies, I would say 95% of them, their heads are spinning around because mm-hmm. the jump from college to the pros is so significant. The level of talent, um, the level of athlete, and also just um the demand on your body, the travel, it's so much. I would say some of the um, the moments that stick out were, were going up against Ray Allen, who mm-hmm. at the time was kind of uh, the guy I was trying to become, you know, a mm-hmm. shooting guard. Um, I remember playing. he played for the Seattle Supersonics when I first came into the NBA in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember coming to a game and preparing for that game. I would come early on the early bus with some of the younger players in the Suns. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Seattle to Key Arena and stepping off the bus, and we hadn't even gotten dressed yet. And the only player on the court at the time, which is probably two, over two hours before tip-off, was Ray Allen. And oh, he was man. out there on the court all by himself, shooting, going through his workout. And I remember taking about five minutes to just sit and watch him, you know, the consummate pro. And he had been in the NBA for probably like nine or ten years at that point in time. And just watching him work and do some of the ordinary drills that, that I've been doing since I was in sixth or seventh grade, he was still doing at the pro level by himself in that gym, just kind of reiterated some of the things that I needed to do uh, in order to become or try to become as good of a player as I could be at that level. Um, and then another one that sticks out is I got to play against Michael Jordan when he came back for the Wizards. Oh, um, man. Yeah, so I got to share a floor with um, the greatest basketball player to ever lace him up, uh, which was an absolute honor and a pleasure for me. And then um, I was also in my second year with the Suns was LeBron James's rookie year. And I just remember the hype uh, that he had coming into the NBA. And when we played him twice that year, I was uh, playing significant minutes for the Suns and getting to play against him, and I just remember, I was like, this kid is going to be one of the best we've ever seen. I know it. Um, so to play against two of the best, in my opinion, those are two good moments that, uh, that I hang on to. Wow. So do you think that LeBron will ever be able to catch Michael Jordan's legacy, or is it just never possible? Um, I, you know, it, it, it depends on who you ask. I think there are some people that will say no, no matter what LeBron does, he'll never be as good as Jordan. And they all, they all point to the fact that Jordan was uh, six for six in the finals. He made six finals. He won them all, and he was the NBA finals MVP in all six of them, which is pretty impressive. But I would also say that what LeBron's done over the course of his career, and mind you, LeBron's not done yet. Mm-hmm. He's not done yet this year. He's not done yet for his career. He's already played more games than Michael. Mm-hmm. He's already played more seasons, of course. Um, I, you know, and I know he hasn't been, um, undefeated in the finals but he continues to get better and grow his game and to me i i i hold a place for both of them as as the best two basketball players that i've ever seen 
I'm not really interested in crowning one better than the other. Mm-hmm. I just know that when I watch LeBron James play right now, I want to soak it all in. I don't want to take it for granted because what you see at this level in, in his 14th year, the numbers he's putting up, he's averaging over 35, 8, and 7 for this playoffs alone. Those are numbers that any other player besides LeBron, like let's say Kawhi Leonard, for instance. If Kawhi scored 35, 8, and 7 in any one game, it would probably be his best game or his second best game that he's ever played in the playoffs. LeBron's averaging that for now three series. That's how good he is. That's how much better he is than the rest of the NBA. So uh, tip of the cap to LeBron for his longevity and for his excellence. Definitely. I think he's also he's also dragged worse teams to the finals more times than Michael had a chance to, so it's kind of crazy in that sense. No, you're right about that. Um, we don't we don't put that in consideration. I think sometimes we penalize LeBron and other players too for getting to the finals or getting to a high level and then out pushing through. We define excellence right now as you have to win championships. I think that's completely unfair in team sports. Mm-hmm. If it's an individual sport, okay, yeah, you got a point. But in team sports, it takes more than just the best player to win. Definitely. What about um, any interactions with uh, Kobe, Shaq, Iverson? Um, so, yeah, I've, I've had a couple. Um, I've never been a real Kobe fan, mm-hmm. um, to be honest with you. Um, I've respected his game and his work ethic and, um, you know, what he was able to accomplish. But I also feel like um, – he wasn't necessarily a great teammate, and I've asked others who played with him. He was often a difficult guy um, to be around, and and I also didn't like the way he ended his career, which is often difficult to do. It's really hard for, for those kind of pros to end their careers, yeah. and the way he kind of hamstrung the Lakers um, and drug them down a little bit rather than helping them get better, kind of like what Tim Duncan did, yeah. um, I think is a, is a knock a little bit on Kobe. I live in the Southern California area, surrounded by Laker fans all the time. So, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, they're obsessed with Kobe, but I didn't feel like he gracefully stepped away um, from the Lakers and didn't necessarily help them win games when he left. Um, I do remember playing against Shaq, of course, the biggest human being I've ever seen. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, I always say that the toughest thing to guard in basketball is uh, still, even now today, even though we're getting more guard-oriented and three-point centric, the still the toughest thing to guard in basketball is a center who is impossible to move and can just dunk the ball. And Shaq was the perfect example of that. He was impossible to guard, and every team that played against him had to come up with some sort of double-team scheme. And that wasn't always the case. I remember in, in with the Suns, there was rarely times where we had to get together as a group coaching staff and players and say, all right, here's where we're going to double team. Here's where we're going to double team and when. And every time you played Shaq, it doesn't matter if he was old Shaq or young Shaq, you had to double team him. And that type of player doesn't exist very often at the NBA level. Even LeBron, you don't often see people double teaming LeBron because he's such a good passer. Shaq was so impossible to stop. And guys would just bounce off him like flies (laughs) on a windshield. So he was a special, special talent. Definitely. What about uh, teammates that you had when you played in, like, the early – because you had some early Nash years. You had some some Marion probably here. And so what about some players that you actually played with? So I was uh, drafted in 2002 with the Suns. 
and I was rookies with Amari Stoudemire, who became the 2003 Rookie of the Year. So um, it was a pleasure to play with Amari and get to know him, and especially coming from Amari's background. I don't know if you know a little bit about it, but played for six different high school programs and coaches. His father wasn't really around. His, his mother was in and out of incarceration. So for Amari to kind of raise up and fight through some of that childhood turmoil, get to where he he, he was and is today, it's pretty remarkable. I have a lot of respect for Amari. Uh, but Amari came into the league as kind of a dunker mm-hmm. and, and evolved into a well-rounded basketball player and a terrific jump shooter. Mm-hmm. So he, he was a great example to me of, yeah, he had a ton of talent, absolutely. Like God blessed him with, with some physical attributes that others don't have. But Amari also took that and worked and mm-hmm. worked and worked. And uh, so that was a pleasure to, to get to know Amari. Sean Marion was awesome as well, um, an all-star who played both ends of the floor. Um, Sean uh, brought it every night. I mean, he brought it every practice, brought it every night. Um, I played one year with Steve Nash before I was traded to New Orleans, so I was devastated when I was traded. Yeah, I We were really good. <laughs> but, uh, another guy that comes to mind is Joe Johnson. I played mm-hmm. with Joe Johnson. Um, he was young, and he was fantastic. What I loved about Joe was Joe was uh, very soft-spoken, yeah. but he never complained. I never heard Joe say a negative word about anyone or anything in the three years or two and a half years that I got to play with him. And to watch Joe then go on and, and become a perennial all-star with Atlanta. And then, of course, last year, or this past uh, playoffs, excuse me, kind of resurrect um, his career a little bit. People kind of wrote Joe off, I felt mm-hmm. like. Kinda, yeah. He's old. He's on the tail end of his career. And then he got to show again why he was so good. Um, just a huge guy, 6'8", 240 pounds, but has an array of shots. He can shoot it from For deep. Sure. He can post up. Um, a good passer, you know. I was really happy for Joe to, to watch him, and uh, hopefully, he's got a couple more years left too. Yeah, he sure does. Um, what about let's uh, f- what about your time overseas? You like you, play, you played in Spain, Germany. Like, what was that like for you? There were some good and bad moments overseas. It's different than the NBA, of course. Mm-hmm. The biggest difference is you don't play as many games. Um, the talent level isn't as big, which could help certain players. It could help me. I was I was much more of a um, I was a, a better statistical player. I produced more over there because I got more playing time and more shots. Because mm-hmm. there are there are no Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James's and Kevin Durant's in Europe. They're just if you're that good, you're going to play at the highest level of the NBA. Yeah. So you're dealing with second tier players. Um, but also, you know, traveling and living over in Europe was a culture shock for mm-hmm. me. Um, I lived in Spain my first year overseas and. It was difficult. I knew Spanish a teeny bit, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't know it enough to really, you know, uh, feel comfortable. So there was always that language gap a little bit. Sometimes you, the coach would have to tr- uh, translate or assistant coach would have to translate what was said in the huddle or practice oh, if I didn't fully understand. Um, and, you know, just the, the mentality is a little bit different. Um, there's the European way of doing things is very much like uh, you're a robot. Um you never get tired. If you're tired, you're a wimp oh um, kind of approach, which which would wear on you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also had some great moments. I finished my career in Spain, or excuse me, Germany. I finished my last six years in a town called Bamberg in southern Germany. 
And I loved it. I, I loved it. I got to play. I was teammates with PJ Tucker mm-hmm. um, in Germany. Uh, Brian Roberts is now the backup point guard for the Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. Um, and several other NBA players over there. And we won five German national titles and got to play in the EuroLeague, which is consisted of the 32 best teams in all of Europe. Wow. Um, so some some really great experiences, good moments. I uh, two of my do- two of my three children were born in Germany and they were raised there. Wow. So uh, you know, made it a life until three years ago when I decided to call it quits and move back to um, California and, and start another chapter in my life. Well, let's fast forward to that and to your your broadcasting career. And what do you think of this current climate, like the domination of the Cavs and Warriors, and kind of what it's like, and then. We'll go move on to the Suns there and kind of what what's been going on with them. Well, the Cavs and Warriors. I, I love excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I'm kind of you can call me a bandwagon fan, I guess. But uh, I grew up in Los Angeles, but my dad never took me to Laker games, even though Showtime was like during during my young years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I never went to a Laker game. I never saw Magic play Magic Johnson play live in a Laker uniform my entire childhood. Now, I followed college basketball for, for most of my life and, mm-hmm. and I followed my brothers. Um, but so I don't, I don't have an affinity towards the Lakers. I don't have an, an emotional attachment to them. Um, so I've kind of grown up. I just want to watch excellent basketball players. I don't care who they play for or where they play at. Mm-hmm. And, um, the Cavs and Warriors, I, I think are a fantastic story. I think, you know, people have asked me, do you think it's good for the NBA that these, that these teams dominate. It certainly doesn't make the playoffs very interesting at times. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're both ten and zero right now, or not, or nineteen and zero, I guess, if you combine, uh, um, you know, how they've done this year. And last year was kind of the same story. We we, we knew that the Cavs and Warriors were on a collision course for the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. But I I personally love it. Um, you know, we we didn't complain a lot in the '80s when the Celtics and the Lakers were going at it. In fact, we look back on those years fondly as kind of the glory years of the NBA. That kind of set up, you know, until until Michael Jordan came in with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. We as fans often love to complain about things that we secretly like. That's that's my theory. That's true. Um, team, teams want to say, "Oh, we don't want these teams to dominate," or "We hate LeBron." When in fact, it's the exact opposite. I think even the the LeBron haters really enjoy watching him play basketball. And they appreciate uh, the gift and talent that he has. They might say to their friends, yeah, I hate him, I hate the decision, blah, blah, blah. But what they're really saying is, you know, I, I appreciate LeBron, I just want somebody to beat him. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, I'm, of, I'm of, the, um, of the school of thought where we've never had three teams play three consecutive years in the NBA. Mm-hmm. This is history. I want to see it. And if you remember the first time the Warriors won, it was uh, without Kyrie and without Kevin Love. Yep. Okay, So the Warriors won that series. And they earned it, but but they won it without a couple of key guys. Well, the next year, Warriors are up 3-1. We, we think it's over. And Draymond Green gets suspended for a technical foul. They don't have Andrew Bogut. And LeBron James turns in the three best games that I've ever seen in the final series to propel his team to seven-game victory. Well, now neither team uh, has any injuries that I know of that are significant. Um, And we're on a collision course. I just hope both teams stay healthy so we can get a true rubber match. And I mean a true rubber match, meaning nobody gets suspended, 
Nobody gets injured. Let's have both of these teams play at full strength and see who the best team is. Yeah, that would be good. I hope that Iguodala is um, okay. He just has small nagging injuries, but I think everybody else is pretty much fine, and it would be really good to see a rubber match of that and see how far, because they have such high point differentials, and just it's amazing how much ball movement, defense, and how much LeBron can flip a switch from losing so many games in the regular season right before the playoffs. Flip the switch, doesn't even have to do anything, and they just destroy everybody. Um, what do you think? That, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna gonna comment off that is is um, you know what LeBron has done in the regular season. Um, you know, he, he just finished fourth, I think, in the MVP yeah. votings because of that very reason. Because he's made it very clear, and I understand this. He's made it clear that the regular season matters, but not enough to where he's going to push his body too hard. He's going to continue to. Uh, he's, he's done this for like the past three or four years now, I would say, mm-hmm. where he's he's made it clear that health is more important to him in the postseason than it is for him to get the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, for instance. And he has proven to be right. But this is the reason why he's not voted in the MVP, because it's a regular season award. So I totally get it. Nobody, to me, I don't think anybody would argue that LeBron James is the fourth best player in the NBA. That's silly. Of course, of course, he's better than that. But the MVP is a regular season award, mm-hmm. and LeBron has kind of taken himself out of it. So I'm okay with him not not winning the MVP. Yeah. Do you think the lack of MVPs eventually will um, affect any kind of legacy, or no? Absolutely not. You know, and I, I think um, we maybe for like you'd have to ask a kid now in 20 years when they become like a 35 year old, and and you ask them about the history of basketball. And they, whoever the, the next, you know, newest, best player is in 20 years in the NBA, I don't know who that person would be, of course. You ask them that, that person, hey, where does, where does LeBron stack up with Michael Jordan? Maybe they would point to, oh, well, LeBron only won four or five MVPs. Maybe it could be like a bullet point, but for any historian or mm-hmm. anybody who's really, really stacked it up or watched LeBron play, or have been able to put these numbers and awards into context, I don't think it would be an issue. Yeah, I think so too. This is an interesting question. And what about the Suns team? Devin Booker, the, what about Earl Watson? What, what do you think? You've been on the, some of the broadcasts there. What do you kind of think they need to do? Who do you think they need to pick? Like, what's the trajectory for this team? Well, I don't certainly have a magic formula. If yeah. I did, they would have probably already hired me to be <laughs> in the front office. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult. This is not they. There's a cliche that's like they call it an inexact science because it is. Uh, we're dealing with human beings, and we can't guarantee that as the Suns pick X, Y, or Z that they're magically going to be better. Yep. They have a young coach, right? So Earl Watson is, I believe, the second youngest coach in the NBA behind Luke Walton. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Earl was only coaching for three years before he got. Uh, hired as the interim head coach of the Suns. Earl's uh, a great competitor, and he's a smart guy. I competed against Earl in, at the college level when he was at UCLA and I was at Stanford. Oh, wow. um, and uh, But he has a lot to learn. And, and Earl, would, if he were on your podcast, he'd say the same thing. Um, he's still a young coach with a lot to learn. But this is also a young team with a lot to learn so they can mm-hmm. grow together. Um, and Earl was hired because of his – uh, tenacity uh, because of his leadership, and I think also because Earl was an excellent defensive player, and that's how he he was unselfish on offense, 
and gritty and tough on defense. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the identity that the Suns are looking for, in my opinion. Yeah. They want a, an unselfish team that will move the basketball and score, but they want a tough defensive mentality. And they haven't been able to do that. And Earl Watson, I remember last year before the season started, they were talking all about we need to be a better defensive team. And this, this past season, they were not able to do that. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is they're young. Okay, mm-hmm. Young teams, historically, are not very good defensively. Why enough. is that? Why is they're, they're physically, uh, they're in need of physical maturation. Right? They need... Well, some of the guys need weight to put on. Some of the, some of the guys need strength to put on. And some of the guys need wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes to be a good defensive player. Um, you could be young and athletic and hungry, but if you don't understand schemes, if you don't understand how to be patient and not go for every fake and be over-aggressive, um, then the NBA could be brutal because there's a lot of guys uh, that can score the basketball in this league. Um, also, The rule changes over the course of the last five years, I would say, Eric, make it more difficult now than ever before to be good defensively. You're not allowed to hand check and to push and bully teams. You have to be even smarter, more efficient, hands off, understand tendencies of individuals and teams. And the Suns, I feel like, are not quite ready to be a good defensive team because some of these things are are, are working against them. Um... And that leads me to the draft. They're going to draft. They're going to draft fourth. Uh, they're going to bring another young player. I'm hoping it's a young player that that understands how to play defense and is already tough. Um, you know, but th- those those guys don't exist uh, too too frequently in the draft. They're hard to find, and they're often projects. Right, mm-hmm. waiting for Alex Len to kind of grow a- after they picked him five, I believe fifth. Mm-hmm. Um, four or five years ago, yep. uh, Dragon Bender was going to be a project. Marquise Crystal has a ton of of, um, of basketball knowledge to gain, especially on the defensive end. So mm-hmm. the Suns have some good players, but again, they're they're several years away for me from being a good defensive team. Definitely, I think they. I've based on what you said, I guess they need to pick Josh Jackson as the best if if he falls before instead of Philadelphia doesn't want him. But uh, they better get him just to make sure that somebody in this lineup can play a lot of defense. Um, what do you think about this whole Bledsoe? It should if they get a point guard, should they get rid of Bledsoe? And then like kind of about Booker, like can he be the best player on the team if it's a playoff team or in in several several years, or is he like the second best player? What do you think? Two good questions. If the Suns, this is already a foregone conclusion, but just entertain me for a second. If the Suns had the first or second pick and they had the opportunity to get Lonzo Ball, I think they should have taken Lonzo Ball. Really? I do. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm not saying that I'm not a Markel Fultz fan, but here's my logic. Lonzo Ball possesses a strength that is so rare. It's, it's much more unique than Markel Fultz, or even Josh Jackson, for that matter. And the fact that he's a star that um, is very fast and athletic, but doesn't want to score. A lot of players will say, yeah, I like to get other players involved, but they don't play like that. Mm -hmm. They say that, but they don't play like that. Lonzo plays like that. He doesn't care about getting the credit. He doesn't care about scoring 20 points a game. He only wants to make others better. Those type of players 
don't come around very often. Trust me. Like I, you know, I've, I've studied, I've looked, they don't come around very often. Mm-hmm. And, um, Lonzo Ball is not as good of a scorer or a shooter as Markel Fultz is, but he is a better passer. He is a better leader. And if they have, if the Suns have the opportunity to draft Lonzo, I think they should have. And then maybe we, we can talk about what we would have done with Eric Bledsoe. But if you can't get Lonzo Ball, then absolutely the Suns should not, I repeat, not draft a point guard. Because we look at Eric Bledsoe's last couple of years, he's been fantastic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he averaged, he averaged a career high 21, over 21 points a game and a career high over six assists. Um, there is not a, a rookie in this draft or even in last year's draft that is going to put up those type of numbers this coming season. There is mm-hmm. not a player that is going to do that. Um, so if you want to uh, win now or in the next couple of years, then trading away Eric Bledsoe doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, so you're better off than drafting a player that can play multiple positions like uh, Josh Jackson, a Jason Tatum, for instance. Um, probably wouldn't draft De'Aaron Fox. There's no really no room for him. Mm-hmm. And he's a really skinny, small guard. We got plenty of those. We got <laughs> Brandon Knight. He's a skinny, small shooter. Uh, we got Eric Bledsoe, who's like 6'1 or 6'2. Um, we don't need another. We got Tyler Eulis, who's, <laughs> who's, who's obviously proven that he belongs in the NBA, but he's small. So adding another small guard wouldn't make any sense at all. What about Dennis so, Smith? Um, Dennis Smith uh, isn't going to help the Suns. It's not going to help the Suns win any games. Mm. So, yeah, I would stay away from, from those type of players. Um, and then, but your second question was whether uh, uh, Devin Booker, who is way better than anybody would have would have um, thought. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody yeah. thought that uh, Devin Booker would average 21 points a game in his second year in the NBA. Now, part of that is because they kind of shelved uh, Brandon Knight, and they shelved Eric Bledsoe and some of the other veterans. So Even it allowed Devin light. to... Yeah, it, it allowed Devin to pretty much do whatever he wanted to, which you know led to uh, a spike in his production. But he also earned those numbers. That, that, you know, he, he still had to put the ball through the basket. Seventy yeah. point game, seventy point game. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to go there. That was impressive. <laughs> but, you know, um, I mean, it's incredible. That's like three times the amount of points that I ever scored in a game in my NBA career. But uh, they lost, and yeah. Uh, not not sure what what you could do with it besides put it on a, another bullet point on a resume. Yep, exactly. Um, I love Devin Booker. I think he's not only a good player, but he's a good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, player that that the Suns uh, love to have in their community. Guy that you can build, um, not necessarily around, but you can build with. Mm-hmm. Um, to your question, I, I don't think that. Devin Booker is a player that is going to like lead you to a title and be the be the best player, and that's not necessarily a knock on Devin Booker. There's a lot of really, really, really good players in the NBA that may never lead a team to a title. Russell Westbrook, will Russell will 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 Mister Triple Double himself ever lead a championship team? I'm not sure. That's doubtful. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if he ever will. Will James Harden? ever lead, be the number one guy on a team that wins a title? Maybe, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking guys who are in the MVP race may not be good enough to be the best player on their team. Uh, to, to, you know, When you have guys that in the league like 
LeBron James? I mean, he's going to retire eventually, but when? When is he ever going to slow down? I don't know. Um, everybody keeps saying that about Tom Brady and the Patriots in the NFL, yet he's still around, and he's probably going to be around for another five years winning titles. So somebody else has got to figure out how to do this. Exactly. Um, but you're going to have to the, – the bottom line is you're going to have to surround Devin with uh, a ton of other help before you're even you know, going to think about contending for championships. Of course. The only thing, last thing I'll th- say about this whole thing about – timelines and having everybody be be really close together like i was i've had said this on several podcasts it's like there's nowhere in the cba that mandates you have to have your top three players be within three years of each other otherwise you're not allowed to win the championship like there's no reason to trade blood so just to trade him but his contract and his knees like there's something to be said there but not just because he's 27 years old what do you think about that it's so difficult, Eric. The, the CBA, the moving parts, the team game, the, you have to have the right culture. There are so many things that have to be in place in order for you to be successful in the NBA. You, you don't need the best player. You need the right player. Mm-hmm. And you need the right supporting uh, players. It all has to come together or you're going to be stuck in mud for a while. The Suns have been stuck in mud for a while. And fans are, are, I understand, frustrated. Uh, they want, hey, we should trade this guy, we should trade this guy, we should trade this guy. It's so much easier said than done. Mm-hmm. The way the CBA is set up, you can't just trade your best player. They, they, they're the highest played guys, and it has to work out salary-wise with other teams. Mm-hmm. And so it's so much more difficult to trade um, you know, your best player than it was uh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's just more difficult. Um, and, you know, I understand fans' frustration. I'm a fan myself in, in certain aspects. I want the Suns to do well. Um, but there is no easy answer for all of this. The Suns' problem have been um, not necessarily a lack of talent, but I, I feel like the culture has been off just a little bit. It seems like when players leave, the last five years, let's say, when, mm-hmm. when certain players have leave, whether it's been Dragic or Isaiah Thomas or um, – the Morris uh, brothers, although I weren't big fans of theirs. Yeah. Whenever anybody leaves the Suns, they almost they, they leave bitter. Yeah. They leave disenchanted. They leave with a negative feel, and that's unfortunate. That that to me, um, there's not a lot of positivity in that locker room right now. And somehow we got. And I don't blame that on Earl Watson at all. I feel like he's done a pretty good job. The mix of guys, I feel like they need to take a step back, sacrifice a little bit more, and really understand, are we in this for the money, or do we want to build this this Phoenix Suns franchise back up? Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Casey. Where can we end? Let's plug your stuff, and then we'll uh, get out of here. Well, you can find me on Twitter, cjacobson23. I do a lot of college basketball stuff. You can find me on Fox Sports 1, on Spectrum Sports, or also on Pac-12 Networks. Wonderful. So let me plug... The podcast here, this is the Solar Insights Podcast. You can check us out on, on – I'm on Twitter at Eric underscore Saar, S-A-A-A-R. Um, and then uh, please subscribe to the podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, and uh, come back for more podcasts. we got a bunch of new ones. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks.